Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. Our topic, the future of Alzheimer's advocacy. Using the lens of the FDA's expedited approval of lecanemab, or lecembi, a drug developed by ASI and Biogen, which has demonstrated positive results in slowing Alzheimer's disease. Joining us is George Vradenberg, chairman and co-founder of Us Against Alzheimer's, convener of the global CEOI, and co-convener with the World Economic Forum of the Davos Alzheimer's Collaborative. And for transparency, we go a long way back as colleagues and friends. George, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Meryl, I'm delighted to be here and delighted to be with you at any point in time. George, as a longtime advocate, is the FDA's expedited approval a milestone moment, both here and globally for the Alzheimer's community? Absolutely. This disease was first identified in 1906. We have had no disease-modifying therapy available to us in now, what, 114 years? And this approval marks potentially the first time we will have a disease-modifying therapy. So it is very definitely a milestone for the Alzheimer's movement. And most importantly, for the 50-plus million families around the world who currently have Alzheimer's. Can you describe the immediate implications of this announcement and how it will impact the state of the movement? The most obvious is that if, in fact, it becomes available to patients uh, at the early stages of the disease, it will potentially have a major impact on their lives. The clinical evidence of this drug shows that it produces the result of a 37% reduction in the rate of decline on activities of daily living, which, as we know, what patients care about most. So if, in fact, 37% is the average, then half of the people are going to get a better result than that and half less. And that means for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are experiencing this inevitably fatal disease, that there will be a therapy available to them which will slow down the progression of the disease in a marked way that affects their daily activities. That is significant. The second impact is that, in fact, it will demonstrate that, in fact, the disease is vulnerable to attack. If we've had a disease out here for 114 years with no disease-modifying therapy, we've now demonstrated that it can be attacked. Hopefully, other people are going to come in with drug two, three, four, and five who will say, I can do better than ASI did. I can do it cheaper than ASI did. I can do it in a safer manner than ASI did. And so it's going to hopefully trigger a chain of innovation, which will have a continuing effect of bringing better and better products to market. And over a period of time, and we would obviously, as patients, like that time to be as short as possible keep us at a state where we can take a disease-modifying drug early in the first identification of the disease way before symptoms occur, slow down the disease progression so that we never get symptoms, so that we're beta amyloid or tau positive, whatever the 
other protein anomalies are that we need to attack. But we can still live a normal life and never have symptoms of Alzheimer's. And then my goal in the next 10 years or so, if not sooner, is to actually get a, a vaccine so that we can take a once a year shot and basically annual boosters prevent this disease from ever occurring. I think this is the start of that, but it's only the start. And advocacy has got to continue and identify new opportunities and bring people together in new ways with new capital, new ideas, new regulatory approaches, new payer approaches to get to that preferential world in which we basically have a vaccine against this disease and people will never have to fear it again. Let's look at some of the ongoing issues around emerging therapies. ASI and Biogen have committed to making their drug available now, but only people who can afford to pay $26,500 will have access to the treatment. So without reimbursement, that puts access out of reach for millions of people. Is there a legitimate concern that CMS is trying to hold Alzheimer's treatments to a higher standard than other therapeutic areas? Well, there's no question that Medicare is doing precisely that. Uh, We know from history that Medicare has always inevitably and unconditionally covered drugs to their FDA label once the FDA has approved them. And this is the first time in history with respect to the first Alzheimer's drug out of the box, Adjuhelm from Biogen, that they basically said, no, we're not going to cover this drug to labor. We're not going to cover this drug at all. It, it is no question that they are treating us differently. The inference, I think, is unavoidable that that is because there are so many of us and the price of these at least first rounds of drugs are so high, they simply are protecting their fiscal flank. What's been the response by CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to the advocacy community's push for reconsideration and full drug coverage? As you know, the FDA announced the accelerated approval of lecanemab, now commercially named Lecembi, but Medicare put out a statement as well. And Medicare said that they are now receiving any new evidence with respect to this drug that may be available. And so they are encouraging now the submission of material. It gives us hope that they are now thinking through what it is that they have and what they don't have in the way of the evidence they think they need to conclude that they're going to cover the drug. And they have indicated to us that any traditional approval of this drug, which is expected in the summer, would constitute in their mind sufficient and conclusive evidence of the clinical benefit of the drug. That tells me that Medicare is thinking about a different posture with respect to this drug sometime by the end of the year. Now, maybe I'm just reading tea leaves and I'm overly hopeful, but I am hopeful that Medicare is seriously considering whether or not to change its posture. Now, with that said, the next set of questions they had for us is, what kind of study ought to be put in place after a coverage decision with respect to how to assess the performance of this product post-approval. And that could be narrow or that could be broad. The drug could be made available only with respect and for those people who are in that study, or it could be made available more broadly as we do the study. George, you mentioned it earlier, but does the FDA criteria of clinical meaningfulness align at all with what is meaningful to patients and their families. 
And will that ever resolve itself? I think Medicare is interested in hearing what patient-reported outcomes have to say about clinical meaningfulness. I'm not at all sure that that will be the only thing they rely on, but they're clearly interested in hearing about that because we've emphasized to them the heightened value of activities of daily living over uh, memory tests as a way of assessing the clinical benefit this drug is going to deliver. So I think they're going to receive that evidence and weigh it and include it. With that said, there is a debate in the field about whether this is an adequate clinical benefit. There's a debate among statisticians. There's a debate among medical experts in the field. And what is not in the public debate yet is uh, what patients think about how to assess the clinical benefit. But Medicare is saying that it would like to hear that information. How it will weigh it against other sources, statisticians' assessments, academic assessments, supposed medical experts. But we have emphasized to them that of all people whose views should be important on measuring clinical benefit, it should be patients who are receiving the clinical benefit and avoiding the inevitable progression of this fatal disease. So we will be active. We will have a very strong voice on that, and we will have an informed voice through work that you've been involved with, Merrill A.D. Pace, at Us Against Alzheimer's. Let's look at the equity profile of trial participants. 22% were Latino, 4% were Black. The drug manufacturers are under pressure to make trial diversity a major priority. What will it take to make the trials more representative? Well, as one of our colleagues and our third co-founder, John Dwyer, at the Global Alzheimer's Platform Foundation is finding out, simply making the opportunity available. He has introduced a van which goes to churches, which goes into the community. And in that van, you come and get a clinical assessment, and you also get a blood test, and you get an analysis of whether or not you might qualify for clinical trials. Frequently, on days that that van is in the parking lot of churches on Sunday, 80% of the participants are Black. They're enthusiastic. So we need to make much more convenient the ability to get involved in clinical trials. And he has increased participation rates to well over 20% on a consistent basis of minorities in clinical trials. And it is only because of the investment of a couple pharma companies whose drugs are late in the pipeline that we could afford to do that. But doing that has turned out to produce very high participation rates from minorities. I say high in the 20s. As you mentioned, the Lakembe trial, Lakanumab trial, had a 26% participation rate from minorities, heavily Latino. And that is simply the product of focusing on clinical trial sites in Latino areas whether it's South Texas or whether it's in Florida or other parts of the country. So the evidence would suggest that this is not a problem of minorities being reluctant to participate. It is a problem that uh, we have been not making clinical trials convenient to access, and we have not been providing clinicians and medical workers who look like the patients that we want to recruit. So we can do this. The historic locus of clinical trials has been academic sites, large academic sites in major cities, and those are not convenient to black and brown populations, the low-income populations, or to rural populations. 
we can do this through much more community-based approaches to clinical trial recruitment and making much more available and easy to use and easy to access clinical trial processing efforts. On the matter of safety, the FDA has determined that this drug is ready for patients to use in consultation with their doctors. What have you heard about the medical community's initial response? Well, I think the medical community basically thinks the safety issues can be managed. Now, managed, what does that mean? That means identifying those subpopulations of people who have comorbidities or other conditions or potentially genetic orientation APOE4 homozygotes, people with APOE4 risk allele from both parents. And the other part of it is monitoring for safety. ASI reported in the Lucanumab trial that most of the safety issues occurred in the first four months or so of getting on drug. So the FDA has included in the label an MRI, a requirement to get on drug is to have an MRI before you get on drug, within a year of having got on drug, and to have four more MRIs in the first four months of getting on the drug. So it's a combination of excluding those people from getting access to the drug who have exceptionally high risk of having side effects and also monitoring for the risk of side effects frequently earlier in the course of getting on the drug. And with those conditions in place, patients can have a rational and informed decision of whether they're right to get on the drug, whether the safety protocols are adequate for them on this drug. But in the sort of step away, non-emotional kind of phrase that clinicians use, the safety issues are manageable. Currently, Medicare only reimburses for one PET scan in your lifetime. Because of the idiosyncratic and subtle ways the disease progresses over time, will there be pressure on CMS to revisit that level of coverage? Well, one of the clear criteria of getting on an amyloid-lowering drug is that you have amyloid in your brain. Today, the only way to do that is either through a PET scan or through cerebral spinal fluid, which requires a lumbar puncture which is anathema to many people. So both of those mechanisms of getting a determination of whether you have amyloid are troublesome for patients, either because of their cost, inaccessibility, or their perceived invasive characteristics. So I think there's no question that Medicare is going to have to change its posture on PET scan. With that said, we need in the next two to three years a real push to get blood-based markers onto the marketplace. There is currently one blood-based marker from a company called C2N, which is available today at about $1,000, which is about 20% of what a PET scan costs, but it's not widely used and it's still a little difficult to get at because of the limitations on where the labs are that can actually do the blood testing. So there's going to be pressure on Medicare to do something about PET scan reimbursement because otherwise no one's going to get on drug if they have to pay for the PET scan and to the FDA to try and get FDA approval for multiple blood-based markers in the next year or two. And so we'll be active at the FDA on the latter issue. We're clearly going to be active with Medicare and trying to get a broader reimbursement for PET scans. We'll continue our conversation with George Fradenberg, chairman and co-founder of Us Against Alzheimer's, In our next edition, we explore why those 50-plus with subjective memory loss might now step up for early diagnosis and whether the same regulatory issues we've just discussed 
apply globally. That's it for this edition. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for brainstorming with us. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation, Edward James, and Genentech. Subscribe to Brainstorm on your favorite podcast platform and join us on the first and third Tuesday of every month.